brilliant. Well, that was a great song we just sung there before, um, the Apostles' Creed, I believe. Um, just as a side note this morning before we get to our uh, main talk, that's, that will be yours and my biggest battle in life. It will be the biggest battle we ever face is to believe in Jesus Christ. To come here this morning is an act of faith. I mean, we can't see God. We don't know that he's here in the physical sense. That will be the biggest battle that you will face in your life is to keep believing. And that is the main front that the devil actually attacks us on. He attacks our faith. He attacks our belief. Is this really important to gather here this morning? Wouldn't you much rather stay home and get in the garden and just pull a few weeds? That'd be so much more fun. Why would you want to come here and put leads together at 8 o'clock in the morning? And What do you want to do that for? He'll always be attacking our faith, attacking our belief. That's why the apostles wrote that. This is what I believe. This is what I build my life on. This I believe. That will be the biggest battle that you and I will face till we breathe our last here on this earth will be the battle to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he is the way, the truth and the life and that no man comes to the Father except through him. That will be the battle of your life is to keep believing that and to keep living that out. Okay, today uh, we're going to look at, um, call it Mission Vision Sunday. What is Exchange Church all about? And I'm sure you've probably been to those stores or you've seen them advertising uh, with their mission statement. It is up on the wall in the office or it's advertised in their catalogues or you see it on TV. Now, we haven't got Doug here today, but if you go to Bunnings, what do you normally see in their catalogues or their advertisements? Lowest prices are just the... Well, there you go. So you've heard it. You've caught it. That's exactly what they want you to catch as well. It's just the beginning with Bunnings. It's the lowest prices. But hang on, there's so much more. It's only the beginning. That's their statement. That's their catch cry. That's their mission somewhat. I think their mission is probably a little bit deeper than it. Probably is to produce a profit for their shareholders as well. But they're going to tell us the lowest prices are just the beginning. Well, Exchange has the mission statement as well of connecting people to Jesus and growing people in Christ. What does that mean? Well, let's have a look at that today uh, as we explore the scriptures. So go into your Bibles to 1 Colossians. 1 Colossians. There is only 1 Colossians, isn't there? Colossians chapter 1. I was just testing then, see? Because if you had 1 Colossians and 2 Colossians, I'll say, let me have a look at that Bible. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we are going to start in reading verses 24 through to 29. Paul says this in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask and pray now for your Holy Spirit that is present here right within us and within this building. 
We ask now that, Holy Spirit, you would give us uh, ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray that you would grow our faith as we think about the mission and the vision of Exchange Church and we see how that's outworked through Colossians here in this passage of Scripture. Holy Spirit, today I pray, uh, give us uh, the eyes of understanding, the open up the, the heart that you've given to us to see and to believe. And we ask that this be done for Jesus' glory and for our good. Amen. Everybody has something that drives them, something that motivates them or something that gets them out of bed each day. Uh, we had a bloke who used to work for us in the orchard and he told us he wouldn't get out of bed unless he was getting paid $25 an hour. That was going back obviously a few years ago now, but he wouldn't get out of bed unless he got that sort of money per hour. So somebody, everybody has something that drives them. I heard the other day about a guy who wants to be financially secure by the age of 45. He's driven by that goal. He was a business guy who was always on the lookout for the next good deal. Even on holidays with his girlfriend where I saw this, he couldn't help himself in looking around the resort he was on, trying to find a business contact he could do a good deal with to make himself financially secure by the age of 45. Uh, Winter Olympians are also driven by a goal, aren't they? Uh, These athletes train and discipline themselves with all sorts of crazy routines. I mean, some of them will just put in hours and hours and hours of training to achieve one thing, to win a gold medal. Some of them will train between four and six years for a make-it-or-break-it three-day competition. So four to six years training, is they're driven by for this three-day competition where they might go for the gold medal. Explorers are no exception. Those who want to explore the unknown, they're driven by something. British explorer, uh, if you know a little bit of history, uh, George Mallory in 1924 was driven to be the first person to climb Mount Everest. Pretty rudimentary equipment they used back then, pretty Spartan-like, but he was driven to be the first person to climb Mount Everest in 1924. He wanted to claim that title for himself. Unfortunately, the mountain conquered him and he died upon Mount Everest in 1924 whilst trying to climb it. We here at Exchange are really no different to the 45-year-old businessman or the Winter Olympian or George Mallory. I like to think there's something that drives Exchange Church to do what we do. I like to think there's something that motivates us here at Exchange Church to put in time, sweat and money in doing what we do. There's got to be something that drives us or motivates us. So what is Exchange Church here for? Why are we meeting every Sunday and regularly throughout the week, right throughout the year? Why has God called us to worship him with our money and to give it to the church? Why do people get here at 8am? In fact, some people are starting at 7am by the time they go pick up a trailer and get here. So why are people doing that in time to set up the church each week? Why do our leaders prepare for CG, connecting grow groups? Why do they put the time and effort into doing that? Why do our exchange kids let us, why do they go and spend time preparing also to speak to our little people each week? What's driving that? What's motivating that? What's actually making that happen? So today we want to look at that, maybe, for the, maybe to be refreshed in what the vision is or the mission is that exchange is about, or maybe for the first time we might understand why we do what we do. To help us see what drives us, is we need to see that there's a massive story going on around about us. There's a huge story going on around about us. We just play a very small part within that story. Because within that grand story, we will find our story as an individual, 
also has a story as a community of believers here at Exchange Church. So when I say this grand story, I mean this big picture of life, this really, really big story that's happening around about us. So what is this grand story that's happening around about us would we find our small story within the grand story? The grand story is the story of God and his sovereign purposes as our loving creator. Humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. We are God's special creation. We are the image bearers of God. God created us to reflect his image. Genesis 1.26, this is where God said, right back at the start of the story, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Mankind as male and female have been made to reflect like a mirror, to reflect the image of God out through our lives. As moral, rational and emotional beings, we've been made to glorify God. We've been made to make God look great. Isaiah 43 tells us the same thing in verse 7. He says this, Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. But the world won't tell us that today. That's what we're made for. The world will tell you you're made to have big dreams and go out and pursue your dreams. But God our Creator tells us we were made in His image to glorify Him. To bring glory to His name as our Creator. This is what Adam and Eve, the first two humans, were created for. And this is what every other person after them as well is created for. Is to glorify God and to make Him look great. And in that, we enjoy this loving relationship with God as we glorify Him. That's the start of the story. But very early on in this grand story, things went bad. Things went really bad. Adam and Eve encountered an enemy of God. It's the same enemy that we have today who's chipping away at our faith. Satan, who deceived Adam and Eve into rebelling against God. And that they did. They fell dramatically. Because of this rebellion towards God, they cut themselves off from him and this incredible relationship they had with him in the Garden of Eden. We call that the fall. Where they fell from grace, they fell from God's relationship, they fell from him. But remarkably though, remarkably in this story, we see God's gracious hand of salvation revealed immediately after this disastrous fall. This is all part of the grand story here. As soon as Adam and Eve fell, God came looking for them and reunited with them and reconnected with them. And he said this in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You might say, what's that talking about? God is talking to the enemy who came in to deceive Adam and Eve. God is talking to Satan. And he's saying this, there's an offspring coming who's going to come and crush your head. There's an offspring of this woman who's going to come and this offspring will completely defeat and undo all this destructive work you have done in one small instant, which has set the course of humanity in this grand story down a path of destruction ever since. There's an offspring coming and he will crush your head and he will defeat and undo all this destructive work you have done in an instant. This then becomes the grand story that we see played out before us through the rest of the Bible. All that happens in the first three chapters. And we see the balance of the Bible begin to just play out this massive grand story of God. The Son of God eventually comes to earth in the form of a baby. 
in Jesus Christ. This baby grows into a man and ultimately dies on a cross as a sinless, perfect person paying the price of our sin, paying the price of the fall right back at the start with Adam and Eve. Jesus, the Son of God, has effected a a redemption for us, redeemed us from our fallen state, brought us back to connection with God. He has saved us. And now, in this grand story, we patiently wait for complete and total restoration when Jesus returns a second time to earth to gather his people. This is the culmination of the grand story. This is the grand story of God. We have creation, we have fall, we have redemption, and then we have finally restoration to come. This is the glorious story that we now see unpacked for us through the pages of Scripture. You know, it's vitally important that we get and grasp the grand story. We need to get that. We need to grasp that there is this big story happening around about us because when we grasp that and begin to find our own story, both individually and corporately as a body of believers, within the grand story. Our story is found within the grand story. If we get the grand story and rightly understand that story, if we understand that God has created us and that we have fallen away from God, that God has redeemed us in Jesus and we await complete restoration with Jesus, if we get the big story, we can begin to find our story fitting inside that. We can begin to see why we are here for and where we find our part in that story. And here's what we find in God's grand story and our story now as we think about that. If we are trusting in Christ alone for salvation... And following him as Lord, if that's you today, then you and I are in this waiting period. We're in this waiting period for the return of Christ for total restoration. That has not yet happened. That is in the future at some point, and God only knows when he's planned that to take place. But we are in this waiting period. In the grand story of God, we are now patiently waiting for Jesus to return and to effect total restoration. But it's important to remember here that this waiting isn't a passive, do nothing, just sit at the bus stop waiting for the Jesus bus to come along and pick me up and take me to heaven. That's not it. I'm not at the gate lounge at the airport waiting for my boarding call, sitting there passively doing nothing for my flight to go to heaven. It's not a passive thing. It's not a thing we just sort of sit around and, as some people say, just play our harps under the willow tree waiting for Jesus to return. It's not a passive thing. Not at all. If you read through the whole of the New Testament, and particularly uh, if you look into the book of Acts, you'll see an active church on mission. They're doing something. And particularly in the book of Acts, you'll see uh, the apostles and the early church really actively engaged in all sorts of activities. The apostles are travelling here, there and everywhere, talking about Jesus, sharing the gospel. And the churches are serving and meeting and helping scores of people in any number of activities, trying to reflect Christ into the world where they live. So they're not passively sitting and doing nothing and waiting. They're actually active in this mission. No one was a passenger on a bus waiting for Jesus to turn up and take them home. So here's where we today now pick up this passage in Colossians, where Paul's talking to them. And here's where we find our story. Here's where we find the story that drives Exchange Church in playing its part in God's grand story here unpacked 
uh, in these passages in Colossians. And particularly we're going to look at mainly verse 28. It says there, Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Paul has discovered and we've discovered the most glorious thing on earth is Jesus Christ. God's rescue plan for us. God's own son come to save us. And Paul isn't content to keep Jesus to himself. And Jesus doesn't want Paul to keep this good news to himself either. Jesus has already previously told his disciples the last words before he left this earth. He said, go into the world and make disciples. It's not meant to be kept to ourselves. It's go into the world and make disciples. And this is where Paul starts in verse 28. He says there, him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Our story is now to proclaim him. To speak about him. Our story is to proclaim Jesus Christ, God's heaven-sent rescuer and saviour. To proclaim him. You as an individual and exchange church as a corporate body have a mission to proclaim Jesus Christ. Our story now is about Jesus and the proclamation of him. You might say, what does proclaim mean? We have a software package down there on the computer for our media work and it says proclaim, but what does proclaim mean? Proclaim means to announce or declare or communicate something. Proclaim it, announce it, declare it, communicate it. And in the sense here of proclaiming, where Paul's talking about in this passage, it's to declare something widely and thoroughly. Not to just do it somewhere in a hidden corner of the room and just sort of whisper it out. It's to proclaim something widely and thoroughly. Maybe you've heard of the King's Proclamation. You may have seen it on a movie or whatnot, in some of those old style movies. Uh, and what was the King's Proclamation? It was a declaration that was to go through right throughout the whole of the kingdom. For those who've uh, read the book of Esther, when... Uh, King Artaxerxes made a declaration and went right through the whole of the kingdom. That was the king's proclamation. It was to be spread widely and thoroughly, not just spoken somewhere narrowly. And Jesus said the same thing here in Matthew 10. 10.27, he says this, talking to his disciples. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you've heard whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Proclaim it. Speak it out, declare it widely and thoroughly. So what drives you and I now is this privilege to proclaim, announce and declare widely and publicly that Jesus Christ and his gospel is here to save us. This is the grand story that we are involved in. This is where we find our story. And we find that story here particularly for us in the greater shepherding community. And here we've got a whole lot of different contexts You might call them people groups that we share this story with. There's a whole range of them here. We have a large farming community gathered around the Greater Shepparton area. That's like a community of people. We have many labourers who work on those farms. It's like another people group within our community. We have a diverse and growing migrant community within Greater Shepparton. It's incredible the per head of population, the number of immigrants we have here Uh, in the Greater Shepparton area. Uh, A large Middle Eastern community and a large Indian community, a large Asian community, and it's fantastic to see that multiculturalism here in Greater Shepparton. We also have a large or substantial lower socio-economic community in Greater Shepparton as well. We have that here in Shepparton. We have an incredibly large Indigenous community in Greater Shepparton as well. A lot of different people groups here, even within the Greater Shepparton area. 
we have a small but it's a growing university community within Greater Shepparton as well. La Trobe campus just wasn't even there 10 years ago. But it's actually growing a little bit every year. And we'd like to see it grow more. But that's here within the Greater Shepparton community. Now we have Melbourne University as well with the medical campus here as well. We have a tertiary education growing here in Shepparton. We also have a small but growing professional community within Greater Shepparton as well. There's a whole range of people groups here. And in some respects, they all require a different way of communicating where we must proclaim Jesus widely and thoroughly to them. And not only different contexts in those, say, different uh, people groups in the Greater Shepherdon area, we have a changing community and culture around about us at the same time. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but the era that I grew up in did have a base understanding of Christianity. You could go there and you could talk about Noah's Ark, you could go there and talk about Jonah and the whale, and people knew what you were talking about. They had sort of a basic idea of who Jesus was. So there was some sort of grasp if you wanted to get a conversation going in that way. But if you talk to, about that to today's generation, the ones who are, say, maybe 15 years and less or 20 years and, uh, and less, it's very, very different now. They don't get that. They don't, you might say Noah's Ark and they say, what are you talking about? Is that America's Cup or something? They don't. It, it's, it's, a, it's a community and a culture today that has drifted away markedly and downwardly away from God and away from any understanding of the Bible in some cases. Uh, I know when Laurel did some CR... I said CRT, CRE, uh, at Armada Primary School, she actually brought up the story, I think it was Jonah and the Whale, and the kids just looked at it with a blank expression on it. They no, nah, I've never heard of it. That's the community we live in as well. We call it a post-Christian community. It's, it's a generation now where they don't actually have, some of them don't have any understanding about Jesus at all. This is another context that we are living in in today's age. And to, that drives us as a church to think carefully, how can we declare Jesus throughout our region as our Saviour and our Lord? How do we carry this mission out into all these different contexts? How does this proclaiming look? This declaring, this announcing. Well, Paul goes on to tell us here, he says it's a sense of warning in this proclamation. In verse 28 he says, warning everyone. Warning everyone. What does Paul mean when he says warning everyone? Generally, warnings are given when there's danger nearby, isn't it? You don't give a warning unless there's danger nearby. Like you might tell someone, hey, don't go and swim in that part of the ocean because there's a really dangerous rip over there. Give them a warning. Please, I'm warning you now. Don't, don't go over that section there between all those currents because it'll, it'll suck you out to the um, end of the ocean. There's a warning because there's danger there. Well, the warning here that Paul is talking about has to do with our conduct or our behaviour. And this warning will come about in two ways as we are proclaiming Jesus. For those who are unbelievers, we will warn them when we have the opportunity to talk about it and use the wisdom that God gives us in that. We will warn them God's justice is coming. God's justice is coming. And that your reckless behaviour will be met by God's perfect and right justice. You might read about a loving God, he certainly is, but he's a just God at the same time. And this is one of the massive lies that Satan keeps back away from this world, that God is not a just God. He is a just God. We looked at that last week as we finished off in the book of Malachi. 
He's got a burning oven of justice waiting. We need to warn people of the justice of God, particularly, particularly unbelievers. Secondly, we warn people that their conduct or actions are sinful. This could be more applicable to those who are Christians. Because we could say your behaviour is not reflecting God's glory out through your character. Again, we have to see in that sense that we're not a completed project. I'm not the complete person. God's still working on me and God is still working on you. And sometimes we'll, our, our lives will drift down a path of ungodly living. We need to be warned by that. We need to be warned by that. I've got a whole lifetime of habits and actions that I've developed and it takes quite a while sometimes to undo those actions and habits. And Paul was particularly uh, strong on doing this. Wherever he went, he carried out a part of his ministry in uh, encouraging or exhorting to godly living. And he says this in Acts 20.31 when he's talking to the Ephesians. He says this, Therefore be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Talking to the Ephesians now, he's about to leave them to go back to Jerusalem. And he's reminding them of, it, of admonishing them. You might think, what does the word admonish mean? It's the same as warning. Warning them. He says, carefully with tears, I warned you for day and night for three years of ungodly behaviour. Paul was concerned that their lives would reflect godly character. So he warned them of their ungodly practices, to repent of those practices. So you and I in exchange in this big story that God's called us into are charged to warn people that there is danger coming. Firstly, God's justice is coming. If you are going to live this uh, rebellious life before God, you will face his justice. That's part of the proclamation here of the mission that drives us. And secondly, we warn also those of us who are believers and their lives are straying off down the path. We warn them that their lives are not reflecting God's glory. Not only are we to warn this proclaiming him, but we also are to teach, Paul says. He follows on by saying, teaching everyone. Teaching everyone. Everybody is learning something every day. We're all being taught something every day. I've got a daughter who's just recently graduated from university and just got her first job at McPherson Media. And you would think after two years in kindergarten, seven years in primary school, six years in secondary school and four years at university, you've probably done enough learning. That's 19 years. You think, okay, probably the learning's over. She arrives at McPherson Media and the first thing she's got to do is learn their processes and systems. Learning doesn't stop. It's always happening. It's always going on. We're always learning something. In our story, which is God's grand story, we are being taught and we ourselves are teaching others. So much we've learned in this world is false, ungodly, and in some cases, incredibly destructive for us. So we need to be taught what is true. What is godly and what brings honour to God's name? And Jesus again said the same things to his disciples when he left this earth as he gave them the Great Commission. He tells them in verse 28, uh, sorry, verse 20 of uh, Matthew 28, he says, Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you. 
as we discover this truth and the freedom it brings us, we are now driven to teach that same freedom to others. Say, this is where freedom is found, in following Christ and his ways. Come with me as we follow this freedom and learn it together. And Paul says here about this teaching that we are to do this with wisdom, teaching everyone with all wisdom. All wisdom. This wisdom is really, really important in this element here of teaching. We have one message to proclaim, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we need to be wise on how we communicate it or proclaim it. How I might speak to a five-year-old child out in exchange kids will be very different to how I'll speak to a 25-year-old here in Big Church, if you want to call it that. Big Kids Church. Or how I speak to a lower educated person will be different to how I will speak to someone who's been professionally educated. You will have to be wise about how you um, proclaim Christ. And we've already spoken early here about the different ranges of people we have in the greatest shepherding community. Various people groups and various uh, contexts where we come into. We need to be really uh, using wisdom here so that we can carefully and clearly uh, proclaim and communicate Jesus Christ. We have to have wisdom. We have to think about this. And this wisdom is primarily important in the initial proclamation of the gospel. When somebody's saved, okay, we still use wisdom, but we actually begin to draw into more of a, a unified group of people. But the initial going out and talking to various groups will need to be wise on how we do that, how to connect with them, how they can understand from us, and how we can share that way of Jesus. So that's why here at Exchange, uh, we try different ways of communicating Jesus. We use big question series from time to time, a Life Explored course in a few weeks. We have ladies' groups, we have men groups, we have various contexts where we actually use to try and speak into people's lives and bring them along so they can hear. To proclaim Jesus wisely, the most productive way is to do it one-on-one in the context that you're in. You may be a professional person, and fantastic if you are, then you probably have a greater affinity with professional people to be able to speak for them. That doesn't let you off the hook to talk with other people who may not be professionals, but you may be more wide and gifted in that way to speak professionally with them one-on-one. You may be in a farming community. Fantastic. Then you might have a better connection to talk into a farming community. That's a wise way of doing it, one-to-one. There's many different ways, and where you are placed is where God wants you to be, and you can talk wisely in that context into those uh, areas and to see through personal relationships people come to Christ. So here we are, we proclaim him. We're warning everyone, teaching everyone with wisdom, Paul would tell us. So the end of the story. What's the end of our story here within the grand story? What is the end goal that we are striving for personally and corporately here as we think about this mission, this vision that drives Exchange Church? And yes, it is to glorify God. Truly, that's what we want to do. The end goal is to glorify God. But what are we doing as the end of the story to glorify God? How are we going to bring this glory to God as we think about the end result or the end point we're trying to get to? Well, Paul tells us here in verse 28 what the end result is. He says there that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Everyone mature in Christ. Paul wants us to present everybody strong, healthy and growing spiritually in Christ. When we have people mature and strong in Christ, this makes God look very glorious. 
This makes God look great with mature people, mature believers growing in Christ. And you see, this is where, this is what should drive us both individually and as a church. Our strong desire should be to see people growing in their faith, growing in their trust and growing in their love for God. This should be a paramount desire within us. It's not God's design that people remain as infants or weak in their faith. That's not what God designs and it's not what God desires. That we know that if someone remains infant or weak in their faith spiritually, that they will live a life of uncertainty. They will live a life of being easily knocked over by any sort of false teaching or wind of doctrine that might come in. We know that if they're weak and an infant in Christ, anything can nearly knock them over. The writer of the Hebrews says this about the mature. Hebrews 5. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is where the Holy Spirit working through teaching enables us to grow. We have our powers of discernment or our thinking to discern something. By constant practice we are trained to think properly, to think well. We live out our faith practically every day. We practice what we learn. It's not something just captured in our minds and left there. It's something that we use in our everyday activity, in our everyday lives. And in that we are growing and we are maturing, becoming stronger in Christ. And this is the end result. This is the end of the story. This is the mission that drives us. This is why at Exchange we meet every Sunday. We want to hear God's word so that we will learn. And then we put that learning into practice and our faith grows. God wants us to mature. Paul says so that we'll be mature. This is why we have CG groups midweek. It's another context where we can meet together We can learn about Christ and we can grow and we can mature. We can become strong and stronger. This is why we have exchange kids. It's another context. It's another group. It's another place where we can talk to kids in an age-appropriate way. That we can actually begin to build into their lives at a really, really early stage. So they can grow and mature in Christ. This is why we would love to reignite our exchange youth. We want to provide another context where we can help the youth of today in all the challenges they face out there to see the most important thing in this world is becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ and not becoming an NBA superstar in the basketball. That's not the most important thing. We want to see that context where they can become disciples of Christ and grow in maturity. And that maturity takes teaching, it takes experience, And it takes time all put together. And this is the end goal. This is the end result that Paul wants to see. This is what Christ wants to see too, is mature growth. We want to glorify God, make him look great by growing strong, mature disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what drives us as individuals. This is what drives us as a church. This is the mission and the vision of the church to make strong disciples and bring glory to Christ. And we've got to see this is the most important thing in your life and in my life. If you're a parent, if you're a parent, the most important thing in your life 
is to see your child, son or daughter, become a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is not to have a successful career. It is not to have a healthy life. That's good and it's important, but it's not the most important thing. They can have a successful career and they can make powers of money and they can be the healthiest person out there going to all sorts of fitness camps. But if they're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, that will burn up in the oven of justice. The most important thing we can do as parents is to train our kids to be disciples of Christ. If you're the friend of somebody, and I hope you've got lots of friends, if you're the friend of somebody, the most important thing and the most important goal in your life is to help your friend to become a mature disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. Sure, have lots of time with them and doing whatever down the lake and chilling out and playing games. That's great. That's important. But it's not the most important thing. It's helping them to mature and grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. So as this goal works its way out through Exchange Church, we want to see every single person playing their part to help make strong, mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Here's an example. Something you might think is really insignificant, perhaps. If you're welcoming on the door, and that's the role you're playing, and Paul had that role today, if that's the role or the part you're playing today, that is an incredibly important gospel ministry. It's an incredibly important gospel ministry in making strong, mature disciples of Jesus Christ. You might say, how is that strong? How is that important? I mean, it's just giving somebody a bullet and whatnot. How is that important? You're the first person a newcomer will possibly meet. Someone's walked through the doors of the church and you don't know what they have been through perhaps to get to church that day. You don't know the struggle that's gone on in their mind. You don't know what maybe previous hurts have happened in the past from another church or from another group or whatever, and you don't know the struggle they've gone through in their mind today to actually get the courage up to come to church and walk through the door. You don't know what's happening in the mind of that person. So the first person they see is the person at the door who welcomes them. That can go really, really good, or that could go really, really bad. It depends on the person on the door, how they welcome them. If they welcome them with an attitude of friendliness and warmth, that will go probably really, really well. But if someone welcomes them with indifference or sort of, sort of partially ignores them or, or whatever, that person can straight away have all those previous hurts or fears or whatever just ramped up and heightened again. It plays a really important part in helping that person to actually become, down the track, a disciple of Jesus Christ. They may walk in, get a bad welcome, and just walk out again. Every single aspect that takes place, whether you're welcoming, pushing buttons down the back, pouring cups of tea or coffee, every single aspect of this church, playing instruments or singing, is a gospel ministry contributing in some way to grow strong, mature disciples of Christ. Everything is helping in some way. And we want to see that. Fulfill its purpose and grow them strong. Now someone might say, is that it then? Is that it? 
Do we just want to become a people filled with some sort of head knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we can teach others so we sort of walk around like you know, a, a portable mobile Wikipedia or something, just all this information just up there? Is that what drives us? Well, yes, but that's not all. Yeah, definitely yes, but that's not all. My experience in growing and maturing as a disciple of Jesus myself, myself, is one of peace and joy and contentment. That's what I experience as I grow and I mature in Jesus. And this is exactly what Jesus intends for us when we follow him. He wants us to know peace, he wants us to know joy, and he wants us to know contentment. Jesus, uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit, calls us into a personal relationship with him. It's not a relationship with him just through ink and pages. This is where we find out about Christ, but this is not where the relationship is. It's through ink and pages. It's through a personal relationship where Christ takes up residence within our heart. Through knowing Christ and trusting Christ and following him, Jesus calls us into this inner personal walk with him in relationship. And in that, you experience real-time peace. Within this personal walk, you experience real-time joy and real-time contentment. And I've felt this many times. You can't explain it. You can't explain it. Sometimes a situation or a circumstance in your life literally explodes in front of you. It's a disaster. Everything feels like it's just crashed in on you. And it's just incredible that the peace God brings to you in the middle of that explosion. You may get the worst possible news. You may get the worst possible phone call. And sure, it it takes a little bit of wind out of your sails. But incredibly, you experience this peace of Christ that the Word says surpasses understanding. It is not just ink and pages. It's a living reality. A personal walk. It's like you feel safe in his hands. Despite whatever happens, God loves me. When everything's going haywire, there is this inner peace, this inner joy and this inner contentment that actually just holds me steady. This is where the maturity we want to see people receive here at Exchange as we connect to Christ. And this is what we strive for. We want people to know Jesus not only a head knowledge, but a living inner reality of what it is to walk day by day with Christ, to know him and to feel him. And to feel him is in an unexplainable way. So there it is, friends. That's the story of Exchange Church. We find our story and God's grand story about his son Jesus Christ and who has come to rescue us and to bring us into a glorious relationship with him. So I invite you afresh this morning to join us in this quest, to join us in this mission, to come and to pray with us. Pray why so we can proclaim him. Pray why so people can come to know him. Pray why because it's really difficult out there to share Jesus with other people that don't in the natural want to hear about it. Pray so that we get an opportunity to proclaim him, to call them through Christ to come into this personal relationship with him. So I invite you afresh this morning in this quest, come and serve in Exchange Church. Come and serve and give your gifts and talents and abilities in this mission. 
and play a part that will actually help to build strong, mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciples who will experience peace and joy and contentment. Come and sit and think with us as we think about these various contexts of the community of people living around about us and how we can share Jesus, how we can sort of somehow speak into the world. Come and join us in this quest to see Jesus Christ glorified and to see his story lifted up. If you discover, if you come and join this quest, you'll discover this is the most soul-satisfying thing you could ever do. Way bigger than the Winter Olympics. Way, way bigger than the Winter Olympics. As you discover this quest, this mission that God has called us into. And we finish with this last verse here in uh, Colossians 1.27. As Paul says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, Paul got it. Paul really got it. How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today uh, for the mission and the quest you've given to us, the vision you've given to us to go and to proclaim him, Jesus Christ. Lord, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in him. Father, today, please help us to toil and struggle as Paul says he was doing this, not primarily in his own energy, but in the energy that you give to us through the Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, today, help us to see this is the mission. This is the quest. This is the great privilege you've called us into. And Lord, I pray that we would do this and see your name lifted up high, and you would bring many, many people into your kingdom. So they, Lord, too, would experience your peace and your joy and your contentment. Father, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen.